0: back to the Long Shorts. I'm your host, Tom Kyo. Football has become very big business. For a long time, professional football teams were owned by local businesses or family enterprises. Past 20 years have seen the emergence of billionaire owners and sovereign wealth funds, including overseas investors, buying into the sport. Club ownership is changing hands for eye-watering sums, leading industry analysts to predict that it's only a matter of time before some English Premier League clubs could be valued at more than £10 billion. And new suitors are emerging in the form of private equity and hedge funds looking to take a slice of the action. So is football ownership the next big thing for private equity and hedge funds? And should fans be excited? Well, here to tell us more is Dr. Christina Philippu of the University of Portsmouth. And her passion for football extends both on and off the field, including coaching grassroots teams to authoring several reports on football finance, including a report on football financial sustainability commissioned by the UK government. Christina, you are very welcome to the long short. Thank you. So, Christina, perhaps you could start by taking us through your career to date and what drew you into working in the finance of sport?
1: very good question Um, I've always been been a fan of sport played watched uh, all of the above Um, I'm an accountant by trade um, started out in audit then I was a forensic accountant for the better part of eight years and then career change into academia um, and I've spent most of my time researching sport governance and football finance as a result Um, and yeah it's been it's been an interesting (laughs) interesting topic I have
0: to say um, and we talked about it at the beginning, but private equity and hedge fund involvement into football teams. We'll park that for a moment, but private equity and hedge fund involvement in sports teams it's not unusual though, right?
1: No, it's not, it's not unusual, but it is growing. Um, we've seen, um, and it's not just football either, we've seen uh, investment in the All Blacks, in rugby, um, we've seen the NBA change their rules to allow for a private equity ownership. Um, so it is something that, that is definitely growing in the sports sector.
0: Why then... Um... Are we seeing, the big question, why are we seeing that sudden interest from hedge funds and private equity firms to invest in football clubs? I I read this morning that Everton Football Club is the subject of a potential takeover bid or maybe part takeover um, from some U.S. private equity business. We obviously have that ongoing saga related to Manchester United. You know There are bids apparently um, in the ring there. Um, various English Premier League clubs have been the subject of takeover, um, and you know you only have to not just look to England, but also across to the continent, where we have um, some of the leading uh, clubs, including one that I believe has got into the um, Champions League final, Internazionale, uh, that is uh, invested in by private equity. So why the sudden interest then um, from you know alternative? Best- investment firms to invest in football?
1: Good question. I think there's two parts to it. I think one of it's been gradual. There's been a gradual evolution. You know, we had standard used to be um, just general owners, local fans owning clubs. Then we moved on to the sort of big high net worth individuals um, owning clubs. And now we're seeing sort of a lot more of of private equity coming in. Um, I think so I don't think it's sudden, but I do think there's definitely been a, a lot of interest. I think Chelsea um, Chelsea being sold in 2022 um, for a lot more than they were bought for suddenly kind of showcased how much capital growth is possible in a football club um, from, you know, one sale to the other. It's been massive, massive growth. Um, I think also a, a lot of, Organizations are kind of realizing there's there's you know, there's obviously risk in football, but there's lots of resilience as well. Um, their demand is inelastic. So you've got your set of, of consumers, if you kind of look at it that way. High revenues, which are seem to just keep growing. Um, and then but profits are low. So there is there is a lot of potential there, um, which I think is what's where the interest has come in.
0: And, and and to dive into that a little bit more then, are we talking about potential in terms of potential from broadcast revenue, deals with streaming providers? I mean, you look to what's happening in Spanish football and the two dominant clubs there, I believe they have their own television rights outside of the um, uh, re- remaining clubs in La Liga, in, in the Primera Liga. Uh, but also to the extent that there's ancillary revenue to be earned as well. As clubs, uh, I mean, because I'm just trying to get my my um, arms around the potential, um, you know, for um, clubs generating revenue. Because you pointed out to it last year, with um, Chelsea being acquired uh, by a private equity business, the 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 price that it was ultimately bought for was a lot higher than what you know most people had felt that it would have been sold for, given that at the time it was considered a depressed asset.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been that you know the whole Chelsea saga was quite was quite interesting from from that point of view. I don't think anybody expected the the, the final figure to be anywhere near as high as it was. Um, I think there is there's an element of. I mean you obviously have different different types of interest in in football so like you say obviously Barcelona uh, TV rights to Sixth Street so there's that kind of the broadcasting side um, of getting involved there's the getting involved directly in clubs um, as we've seen with Chelsea we've seen with Liverpool um, and then we've also seen kind of involvement in in leagues as well with Syria um, so there's there's a lot of Different different elements and different levels uh, of potential involvement as well. So, which obviously increases the, the the potential from from private equity point of view.
0: So, this is broadcasting, this is commercial sales to the extent that um, the brand of the club extends beyond you know it's uh, local league as well. I think all of these factors come into it. They have a star player. I'm old enough to remember the Galacticos of Real Madrid, but all of these are are drawing in, I guess, additional revenue. It's the brand, it's the strength of the brand, yeah.
1: Absolutely, and we're seeing globalisation of that brand as well and it being recognised more globally, which again increases the the potential. And I think generally football aren't exactly renowned for their good governance and their professionalisation and their commercial nous in many ways. Uh, Premier League ex- Excluded from this, but there is a lot of potential there. There A lot of they're not necessarily run as they could be to make money, Um, and I think that's what private equity and venture capital is actually seeing in 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 sport in general is that that potential there to grow what already exists, but also to utilise what already exists uh, and make more of it.
0: And when you talk about the sustainability, and we we will come to that as well later. Um, In our conversation, that sustainability, I guess, would have been brought into question, particularly um, during the pandemic period. Uh, You know, was that in some way or has that in some way been a catalyst for um, private equity and hedge fund and the emergence of these players looking to invest in football?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's definitely played played its part. There's obviously more disposable income for a a lot of high net worth individuals, um, which is obviously um, great for for, for investment. Um, I think the pandemic also highlighted sport uh, as a bit of an outlier business. Um, A lot of it, you know, even behind closed doors, not quite the same, but it still continued. It was one of these more resilient uh, industries and it was showcased. It was there. It was you know globally available uh and seen um there's generally also been a growth in interest from the business side so i mean take the financial times never used to have a sports section they do now right so there's growing interest generally kind of bringing it to the fore um and i think the pandemic has helped a lot in 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 that sense uh, there's other factors as well obviously war in ukraine if you look at some of the uh sources of income of some of the big players that have bought in uh, a lot of them have been in oil and gas um, obviously benefited from that um, and hmm. and like we've already mentioned the sale of Chelsea also kind of put that sort of look what look what can actually happen um, in in dangled it in front of a lot of uh, potentially interested parties
0: yeah I mean if I, if I look at the valuation of football clubs, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Christina, but Newcastle United in 2021 was bought for £300 million. That did not include the debt, I believe. Then we had last summer, Todd Bouley um, and his private equity consortium, as we've talked about already, acquired Chelsea Football Club for £2.5 billion. This year, we've got Manchester United, the subject of a bid reported to be as high as £5 billion. And that's staggering. Just in in you know the last three years to see those multiples and to see the valuation. And we talked about some analysts are suggesting that if this trend was to continue, we could have some English Premier League clubs been valued as high as ten billion pounds. I mean that is truly staggering.
1: Yeah, it's truly staggering. But it's also the the, the growth, the capital growth, is truly st- staggering. So Newcastle. Um, were sold for uh, were bought for 134 million in 2007 and then sold on for and this was before Chelsea for 300 million so that was quite an increase Chelsea I mean that was 140 million in 2003 to two and a half billion like you said in in 2022 Um, massive increase there Manu floating in the round five billion uh, now they were bought in two thousand and five for eight hundred million. So there's been a massive, massive growth. Um, compare that to your average investment, and it's looking pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, so it might then explain perhaps the attraction. Then, um, so what then are the potential benefits of these new players taking ownership of football clubs?
1: Um, from their perspective, I guess you know we've already talked about potential growth, um, high revenues, scope for improvement um, from d- more kind of general perspective, um, making things a lot more professional um, always generally increases the commercial value. Um, there's also kind of governance improvement in governance can affect. Um, match day attendance and commercial value and broadcasting value potentially. Um, and then there's the obvious where, you know, increases in revenue are correlated with on-pitch performance. So that can have a, a sort of an upward trajectory effect, um, sort of kind of keep it rolling. So there's, you know, there's there's plenty of benefits to, to, to their involvement. Uh,
0: the government's element... Is important given that you know hedge funds are regarded as as being uh, um, pioneers, I guess, when it comes to the field of governance and financial governance. Um, when you wrote about um, the sustainability of football, you co-authored a government research paper um, that described and went into um, to what extent football clubs were sustainable or not. Uh, Some of the findings from that report suggest to me that perhaps football could do with having a bit more, with the greatest respect to how some of these clubs are run and others may be run too, uh, having that professional um, approach to managing a business, the governance, managing the balance sheet yeah. Uh, w- could you maybe take us through some of the findings of that report and how that might tie into where hedge funds and private equity might, might get involved, given what you found?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we found was poor financial sustainability across the board. Um, so high revenues, particularly at the Premier League level. Um, what we found was the championship, which is tier two of English football, was... Um, I'm trying to think of a uh, basket case is probably the uh, <laughs> the best word I can use. Um, really, really poor uh, financial sustainability. We, we we looked at the clubs across a bunch of metrics, um, and I think there was only one that pre-pandemic did not hit any of the metrics at all for poor financial sustainability. So looking really, really bad. Um Even, you know, the Premier League, which is the promised land, which everybody kind of tries to get to, which is why we see those issues in the championship. Even Premier League level, there was a lot of poor financial sustainability. Again, only three clubs didn't touch any of our metrics. Um, So there was a lot, there's a lot of problems um, involved um, in football. And, you know, the revenues are high. The demand is inelastic. Like I said, it's not, you know, you're not going to change massively. So what is it about football that means you're having negative equity (laughs) in in so many clubs um, and and such poor cash flow? It's when when you know where the kind of cash is going to come in because the broadcasting comes in, in known tranches, you know when your matches are going to be, Right, so you know roughly what your your match day income is going to be. The commercial, all the sponsorship deals are generally sorted before the season even starts. So, you know, you cash flow management should be fairly simple compared to other businesses, right? Um, and that's not what we're seeing in football.
0: Yeah. So to get a sense of these stats that you found. of all clubs in the top four leagues in England have gone into administration over the past 30 years, including eight of the original 22 English Premier League. Um, You talk about, as you've mentioned, this wage control ratio, which I found fascinating. Obviously, we got the financial fair play rule, 70% wages to income is the threshold. Yep. So you need to be having of all income generated they're suggesting that only 70 percent of that total should be on wages Uh, and what you found was um, most EPL clubs had a wage income ratio of what 50 percent is that right some of the the, the, some of the leading clubs have wage income ratios that exceed that 70 percent threshold if I've got that correct yes
1: yeah, well, most of the the thing is because the threshold is um, UEFA's threshold, and because the biggest clubs play in Europe and are therefore um, they all have to abide by the financial well, what used to be called the financial fair play regulations are now called the financial regulations, which include uh, those kind of caps. You tend to find the wage control of those teams that play in Europe tend to be much better. Um, it's the rest of the teams that start to, um, to struggle somewhat, um, particularly newly promoted teams. Um, and in the championship, I, we, were, we were astounded. Um, there was The average was over 100% the average, which is just mind-boggling, really.
0: And, and to put that in perspective, when you say over 100%, are you saying that of all income generated by the club so turnover, mainly ticket sales on the gate. I'm guessing and broadcasting revenue, yeah. And if there's any other commercial revenue as well, all of that is being spent on wages.
1: More than all of that,
0: player wages, and more than all of that. And and there are some instances where that number was closer to two hundred percent. Is that right?
1: Yeah, there were there were a couple very close to two hundred percent. Reading definitely had breached the the two hundred percent ratio and I think uh Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday were pretty close as well. So yeah, that's that's not (laughs) that's not ideal.
0: Certainly not. Well I mean not when you're running a business. So I'm guessing then uh without putting words into your mouth, Christina, then having a investment firm or an asset management business um take an interest in a football club is not necessarily a bad thing for fans then. Um, how might the rise of such ownership, though, impact the culture and the identity of some of these football clubs, particularly those with strong local ties?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it, it, it depends on how it's done, doesn't it? So you've got sort of the Wrexhams of this world where you've got Um, lots of money has come in but it's come in with let's get involved in the local community let's see what's needed the women's team got promoted the men's team got promoted Um, you've got more uh, more investment in the community trust so local community things there's been um, so that's been clearly very positive for that particular club but then you also have the sort of more arm's length um, let's cut costs kind of ownership which i think is what what a lot of fans fear um which can i mean yes there are a lot of inefficiencies in football um but that can impact jobs and therefore can affect the local community um negatively as well so i think that's that's kind of where the 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 fans weigh up on on both the sort of benefits and um and, and potential pitfalls as well
0: EMA are delighted to announce the return of the annual Alternative Credit Council Global Summit on Wednesday the 4th of October. The one-day conference will focus on the most prominent themes
1: in private credit, including the ESG Integrated Disclosure Project, fund structuring, the value proposition of private credit for investors, retailisation and more. Taking place in the heart of the City of London, this will be a prime opportunity for LPs, GPs and service providers to gather and showcase the full breadth of the asset class.
0: To find out more about the summit and to register, visit the email website. So the question then I'll put to you, uh, Christina, is Can thinking about that sustainable model for football clubs that you have um, written about in, in such detail with several reports, can hedge funds and private equity firms Create a sustainable model for football clubs that balances on pitch success with financial profitability, or does one not quite go with the other?
1: It's it's difficult. I think also it depends on the level and it depends on the league, um, and I think that's where the, the some of the issues kind of arise. In that uh, you can have sustainable clubs that do really well. Um, Plymouth Argyle, for example, they got went into administration in 2011 they're currently just been promoted to the championship and they run very financially sustainable model so you know success is is possible with financial sustainability um and and obviously some some of the clubs at the top of the premier league as well um but i I think the problem is how you get there um how, how to get to the successful areas and that's why we have all those issues in the in the championship for example um, because it's almost a sort of competition to keep up on the spending uh, without looking at at what's happening um, you know in (laughs) on the finances and you what you have is fans want trophies because that tends to be you know their main sort of measure of success until the club goes into administration, because it's not financially unsustainable, and then it's the end of the world. Um, so it's 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 a little bit difficult to kind of marry those two aspects together, um, because I think one is very short term, sort of short term grat- gratification of trophies, versus the more sort of long term ideal of sustainability, um, whereby you don't want your club to go into admi- administration, or God forbid liquidation because that really impacts local communities in so many ways Um, but because it tends to be a more long-term thing it it suffers from from the classic short-term versus long-term thinking ideal
0: yeah I mean I can point to two examples I guess where um, we've had hedge fund private equity involvement and leading to success on and off the field I mean both Milan clubs yeah, they've both been the subject of takeover, um, and you know we've have seen Internazionale and Milan get to the Champions League final this year, and AC Milan getting into semi final competition as well. So I mean that's it's been a long time since both Italian clubs have have featured in the last four of you know the the Premier European football competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure we'll see more success stories kind of going forward as well, um, but. You know, a lot of the, like you said, private equity involvement has been more recent, so it, it hasn't potentially had sufficient time to kind of work through to actually see how potentially successful um, that model of ownership could be.
0: When I went through your, when I went through your report, um, I, I was fascinated by the, the um, certainly the angle you brought to it in terms of that forensic accounting background that you have, and obviously being. accounting accountant by profession you went into the various ratios which looked at the profitability of clubs and businesses um and uh you know i couldn't help but seeing that when it came to um businesses being sustainable both north london clubs of which one of them i'm a fan of um featured right at the top of the list in terms of being able to manage the business very well uh I am a long-suffering Spurs fan. We haven't won a trophy ever, it seems. Yet we've got a fantastic balance sheet, which um, the chairperson uh, tells all the fans anybody else wants to hear about. But, I mean, there is a good story there, too. They've built this fantastic stadium. Again, we've no trophies. We have a star player who has won no trophies. And we've got a really profitable business, which is moving beyond football, though. It's moving into other areas. Um, You know, it's putting on pop concerts. It's got, apparently, it's building a racetrack as well. It's got a retractable pitch. So it's a proper sports franchise. Where I'm going with this is, from a fan's perspective, where your club is the target of an ownership takeover, would it be better for the club to be bought by a wealthy benefactor? You know, family, business, sovereign wealth fund, or hedge fund? Or a private equity fund because they from a fan's perspective I don't know if they care that much about having a retractable pitch and being in a billion dollar stadium and having a really profitable balance sheet they want trophies right or in the case that you say you know if the very viability of the football club is in question if you're not running it properly, and you need to have the right actors running the business and have the right people running the football part.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what, what hat you have on as well. Um, you know, do, do you have your, your ethical hat on? Um, do, do you have your sort of I want trophies hat on? Do you have your I want a good community hub hat on? Um, do you have your sort of business hat on? Or do you have your NFL fan as well hat on? Um, It it kind of depends, I I think. Um, I I, I totally get where this issue kind of comes in. Um, You have a lot of clubs that are financially sustainable that aren't necessarily doing so well. And a lot of the fans are saying, but, you know, we want to win trophies. Um, But then, you know, I'll point to all the clubs that have gone for trophies, not necessarily even got them, Uh, and ended up in administration or insolvency. Um, And that's where fans definitely don't want to be. So it's a very difficult one, I think. Um, And I'm not sure I have the the answers.
0: Yeah, maybe I just need to have to um, contend with being, supporting a club that has the best balance sheet, the Premier League um so moving on to the role that governments and football regulatory bodies can play in ensuring that the ownership of football clubs is transparent and accountable where do you see them figuring when it comes to a future framework for football i note that the uk government has got involved now and commissioned you to write a research paper on financial stability in football clubs and a white paper has also been published last february by the UK government, which asks for an independent regulator to come in and oversee football across the four professional football leagues in England. So how do you see all of this evolving?
1: Yeah, it's, again, a, a difficult one. Obviously, we've seen that the UK government uh, is looking to bring in an independent regulator. Part of that remit looks at ownership as well, kind of owners and directors test. Um, there is... Um, a bit on kind of financial sustainability. Um, and and I think we, we have seen it with um, various sports in the past, um, UK with UK sport um, and uh, New Zealand and Australia also do this. Uh, any kind of sport bodies that sort of want government funding need to abide by certain codes of governance um, it, to be able to kind of get that funding. And therefore, th- th- there has been some stuff like that in in the past. Um, I think the role of regulation is is a complex one because you want to balance um, ensuring that, that that the market does what it's good at. I mean, the Premier League are obviously very competitive. Um, they 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 obviously bring in a lot of revenues. You don't want to stifle that. Um, but then you kind of need to balance it against the need for financial sustainability and um, and not having clubs go into administration and sort of decimating their, their, their local regions as a result uh, on a semi-regular basis. So it, it's a very difficult balancing act. I'm glad I'm not the government. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the one having to, to make, draw those lines and make those decisions. Um, but I think... Given that football have not been particularly great at self-regulation uh, for a very long time, um, and and we've seen that across other things as well, not not just kind of on the financial side, uh, we've seen that with safeguarding, we've seen we've seen it on a number of things across a number of sports. Um, you can see why governments are starting to step in.
0: Am I right in saying that the Premier League has pushed back? Against this idea of having an independent regulator um for football in England and, and would this then uh if they if a regulator was to come in and I'd love to get your views on that as whether you think that will happen, but if a regulator did come in, would that effectively kill then any remaining hopes of a super league forming? And with that, then, in the views of many fans who protested about such a development happening then, that the soul of the game would be lost forever if a big Super Premier League, a European Super League, was to be launched.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things to unpack there. First of all, did the Premier League uh, push back? Yes, nobody likes to be regulated. Um, So, you know, very unsurprising. Although surprising was that the EFL, so Championship League One and League Two, um, we're in favour of a regulator coming in, which I think tells you just how bad the, the 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 state of the industry is when you have people basically saying yes, we want to be regulated. Um, so that's that's kind of the the, the first step. Um, in terms of the European Super League, um, it's interesting how most of the clauses. Uh, involved in, so the the government issued a white paper of basically what they intend to do uh, from a regulator perspective Um, that's linked to kind of licensing conditions around, I already said, ownership and director, uh, financial sustainability, um, and, and there's a bit on cultural assets, and there was a bit on effectively other, joining other leagues. So there's almost like a backstop, which almost seems like the odd one out because the rest of them are linked to good governance and, and financial sustainability of clubs. Um, that's clearly, in, in kind of my view, a little bit more of a political one that's been added in there, specifically about what happened with the European Super League uh, and trying to almost have a, a legal backstop for, for things like that happening and, and sort of protecting, protecting the fans.
0: Do you expect a regulator to be introduced? The white paper for the UK government has asked for one. Do you believe that there will be one in place?
1: I I think I think there will. I think it's gone a little bit too far down the line for it to not happen now. Um, I think uh, a, a lot of the, the, the stakeholders, like I said, the EFL, are in favour. Um, so I, th- I think it's gone... A little bit far. You've got the conservative government who normally don't introduce regulation are the ones that are introducing it. Uh Labour have put it in their well draft manifesto. So I think there is almost too it, it's gone too far down the road, I think, personally, for it not to happen. Now, what form it takes and what it looks like is a whole different debate. Um, And I think that's where we'll see more of the sort of wrangling in terms of what kind of shape this new independent regulator takes and what the final sort of licensing conditions are um,
0: involved. And and in bringing this conversation full circle, Christina, if I was ask you to take out your crystal ball, to what extent do you think then that the business of football will change over the coming five years, including club ownership. We talked about hedge fund, private equity, potential involvement, You know the sovereign wealth funds who are coming to the fore. Um, and you do have also those wealthy benefactors, individual benefactors that are, are still involved in, in the ownership of football clubs, um, particularly in the English Premier League uh, and also across Europe. But how do you think that landscape will change?
1: Um, I think... It will continue to evolve. I think we will be seeing more private equity coming in um in in football club ownership. I think if a regulator comes in sometime down the line we'll probably be seeing more public equity as well um because you know if something's financially sustainable, we'll probably see more uh more input from less um more risk averse individuals um and I think what we will be seeing. Uh, a lot more of as well is is multi club ownership. Um, I think that's something that has started quite you know significantly. Obviously, we've got the City Group, um, and and loads of clubs have got one or two outposts. Um, but I think we'll be seeing we'll be seeing a lot more of that. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more of the multi sport. Um, conglomerates as well, because there's so many synergies to be um, to be found in those, lots of knowledge sharing, um, you know, loads of efficiency gains. Um, I think we will be seeing more of that going forward
0: as well. And there are so many layers to this fascinating story, and we will include in the show notes where our listeners can read the various research papers that Christina has published. I found them incredibly interesting, getting under the hood of how the business of football is managed as well as better understanding the debate around sustainability and how non-sporting actors are getting involved to address that. Christina, thank you so much for your time. No doubt we'll get you back on the show again as we watch the landscape of football business change over the coming years. Thanks for having me. The Long Short was brought to you by
1: AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our
0: website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.